This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Chase and Scout. Have you been searching for the perfect amulet or talisman to carry you through your day and guide you at night? Check out Chase and Scout. It's studio-created jewelry, which means each piece is individually made to order just for you. Handcrafted for the strange and the beautiful, find your personal power piece online at chaseandscout.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Happy holidays, everyone. I don't know about you, but for me, this is a time of year that feels absolutely stuffed to the gills in more ways than one. It's full of celebration and stress, glee and grief, sweet feasting and regretful overindulgence. Couple that with the fact that in my household, we have the quadrifecta of Hanukkah, Christmas, my husband's birthday, and now annual Star Wars mania to juggle with as much joy and jolliness as possible. It's lovely, and it's a lot. That's why I like to take a breath and remember what this time of year was originally supposed to be about. And that's the winter solstice, the shortest day and longest night of the year. The time just before the light is reborn and begins to return little by little to warm us and awaken us back up. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere as I am, the winter solstice is on Thursday, December 21st, which is tomorrow for those of you who are listening to this episode on the day it's been released. But the entire month is full of holidays which honor the darkness and celebrate the light. The word solstice comes from the Latin words for standing sun. It's a time when the sun was thought to be still before increasing its power again bit by bit. And so it's a holy day of contemplation, of stillness, of suspension, A moment to sit and shimmer quietly as we take stock of our own darkness and recommit to shining ever more brightly in the months to come. And this is why the solstice is usually associated with sun deities and sources of literal and spiritual light who are born or reborn. Of course, there's Lil Baby J, whose birth is celebrated at Christmas, 
But before him, there was Horus, an Egyptian sun god, and the child of Isis, goddess of magic. Horus was said to be born at the winter solstice, and some believe that Christianity adapted this story and brought other pagan or heathen traditions, like the Yule log or Christmas tree, into the fold. As a matter of fact, a lot of famous paintings of Mary nursing or holding Jesus are direct reinterpretations of images of Isis with her baby Horus. None of this is right or wrong, by the way. From my perspective, they're all just mashups, remixes, reinterpretations of greater truths and bigger stories. And the theme of that fluidity and various interpretations of certain symbols is one we're going to dive into more deeply in a few minutes on this episode with my guest, tarot expert Lindsay Mack. Since we're on the topic of solstice and sun worship, though, I wanted to mention a few other interpretations of this holy time. Though in Western traditions, the sun is usually associated with masculinity, I've been thinking about female carriers of solar energy. In Japan, the primary deity of the Shinto tradition is Amaterasu, the goddess of the sun. In fact, the red circle of the rising sun on the Japanese national flag is her symbol. There's a beautiful solstice tradition in Japan of taking a bath filled with yuzu, the citrus fruit that's supposed to ward off sickness and attract abundance. It's a lovely tradition you can do in your own bathroom with oranges or yuzu oil if you can't find whole yuzu where you live. If you do it, you will find yourself swimming in sun and soaking up the goddess Amaterasu's solar magic. Star Wars is arguably our modern mythology, and that was intentional on creator George Lucas's part, as he was an avid devotee of mythologist Joseph Campbell's work, especially his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which posited that no matter the masks, costumes, or names of various world hero stories, there is one monomyth that traces what he calls the hero's journey. Lucas's original Star Wars trilogy has been extended and continued by many other creators, and this latest trilogy reinterprets the hero's journey yet again for our time, now with a more diverse cast. The hero of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi is now female, and it's no coincidence her name is Rey. I won't give anything away about the latest film, it's wonderful by the way, but it's no secret that Rey is trying, in her own way, to be a bringer of the light. I think she's a phenomenal solar heroine, and someone whose story has been inspiring me over these last two winter solstices. So winter solstice traditions can be interpreted in your own way. Some people write down words or lists of things they'd like to let go of in the coming year on a piece of paper and burn it over a candle or fire. Some people light a menorah, a kinara, or a Christmas tree. Some people bathe in bright fruit, 
or bask in the twinkling stars of a galaxy far, far away. However you choose to celebrate solstice this year, I hope if even for a moment you sit still and turn once again toward the light. Now, before we get to our guest, Lindsay Mack, we're going to have a quick check-in to see what's come through on the Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Mary Elizabeth writes, As a baby witch, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to hear these different perspectives to figure out how I want to live my personal practice. On that note, do you have a suggested reading list? You can't sneeze on the internet without finding a 10,001 spells for everyday witchcraft list, but I have no idea who to trust and what's a scam, and they almost always seem to be written by white people for Wiccans. I'm not Wiccan, I am white, but I really want to find modern, diverse books or websites. Well, happy solstice, baby witch. Another star is born. As you can tell by my preamble, I believe there are many, many ways to be spiritual, and one of the things that I appreciate most about walking the path of the witch is that it's a self-directed path. There is no one book. There is no one set of dogma. There is no single teacher or leader or guide. And I think that's why this path is resonating so much with people these days, because it's a path that honors intuition and interpretation and individualization. That said, when you're just starting out, I realize it can be difficult to know where to begin. So first and foremost, I would say, trust your body. When you go to a bookstore, is there one book which seems to be calling out to you that feels good in your hand or has an image or a snippet of language that really seems to click? Trust that. Trust yourself. It may not be the only book, but it will be a good first step and you can learn from it and absorb that which moves you and discard that which feels wrong. That's how I and most self-identifying witches that I know have all started. I'm hesitant to suggest specific titles because what connected with me or people I know might not be right for you, but a good place to start might be for you to learn about the history of modern witchcraft and the classic book Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler is thorough and luminous. And in reading it, you'll see that modern witchcraft has always been in flux and has incorporated lots of different traditions and styles and cultures. For the record, Wicca itself is only about 75 years old and was invented or at least codified by, yep, a white English dude named Gerald Gardner. There's a lot about his teachings and writings that don't entirely click with me, I don't call myself Wiccan, and yet I am grateful to him and others before him for showing that magic is a creative act, and so we can continue to endlessly remake it in our own way as long as we're mindful about the histories and traditions that we're drawing from. I actually talked a lot about how to make sure your magic is diverse and inclusive on the last episode's Witchwire segment, so you might want to give that a listen. 
So I'll just end here by adding another book suggestion to the mix that's a little bit unconventional, but I really love it. It's called DIY Magic, and it's by Anthony Alvarado. And what it does is focuses less on traditions and rituals and more on techniques for tapping into your own magic via some really fun exercises that you can try at home. Now, on to my guest. Lindsay Mack is a tarot reader, intuitive healer, and holistic counselor based here in Brooklyn, New York. She's the founder of Wild Soul Healing and Tarot for the Wild Soul, and she's developed her own tarot technique based on over 20 years of experience. She's a writer, a teacher, and the host of a podcast also called Tarot for the Wild Soul. And her work has been featured in places like the New York Times, Nylon Magazine, and The Numinous. Lindsay is usually booked months and months in advance for her readings, sessions, and workshops, so it was a rare treat to get to host her here in my Brooklyn apartment. Lindsay Mack, welcome to the show. Oh my god, what a privilege to be here. (laughs) This is... It's a such a delight. Thank you. Thank you. I was very excited to even have your time because you are so busy. So I'm really, really grateful to you for making the time and, and actually being able to come here in person. Yeah. I'm just so thrilled to have you. I love that you asked me. And I, it was so easy to make the time for this because I adore you and I love this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I do. So... I want to talk to you first and foremost about tarot. Um, I've really come to think of you as one of the leaders of this new guard of tarot that's happening right now. You know, sometimes people come to me and they ask me for referrals for things like astrologers and healers and tarot readers um, because, frankly, I love tarot, but it's not my area of expertise. And in prior years, I would have sent them to someone like Rachel Pollock or Robert Place or, I don't know, Mary Greer. They're, they're mm-hmm. amazing people. Yeah. And yet I do see you as someone who's doing things a little bit differently and kind of evolving tarot forward. And now you are on my short list of places oh. I send people. What an honor to hear that. Thank you. Sure thing. But I wanted to just get started by asking you what is it that you are trying to do a bit differently with the ways in which you approach your readings and your teachings for tarot well I'll say that I didn't set out with that attempt but what has wound up coming from my work with the tarot is that what I am really passionate about is that I really do believe that the tarot is medicine. And when I say medicine, I mean a very powerful alchemical bridge that leads us from our kind of earthly experience of what we're thinking, feeling, moving through, which is all, it's all totally legitimate. But there's something larger that as a survivor of trauma, this is all informed. Just I can't separate that because 
PTSD is PTSD. And how I really got to how I teach tarot is, and how I understand it to be, is really not a tool that gives answers all the time, believe it or not. Mm. It's not particularly very good for telling anything other than this moment sometimes, but not a lot. What it helped me to do is to get a sense of what my inner experience was versus the external invitation to evolve. Mm. And that helped. So I see it as being genuinely a tool for awakening the consciousness to the fact that there's no guarantee in this life. There's no future. There's no promise that anyone's guaranteed that they're going to have a smooth ride or a rough ride. Mm -hmm. There's no fair in this life, certainly, that I know of. The only thing that really binds us all, everything on the planet from moss on rocks to me, to Donald Trump, to whomever, is that we all, whether we understand it in this way or not, are either evolving or wisely responding to our circumstances. And when we have a hard time seeing our way forward for one reason or another, I think the tarot can be a very powerful visual tool to just say, pick up your foot and take a step forward. Mm. And so what does that look like from a technique standpoint? I mean, I read on your site that you call in guides Mm -hmm. to help you I'm wondering from a logistical standpoint, is there anything else that you're doing a little bit differently, especially in comparison to how you might have been originally taught to read tarot? Mm -hmm. Well, I never had a teacher, so that's, I just taught myself, but I live it. That's what the difference is, I think. It's not to suggest that anyone doesn't live it, but I go through contraction and terror and jealousy and lust and wanting to leave the planet like all the time. So rather than get swept away on that current, I really like to understand how to embrace it. And the more I do it, the more people come in to see me and there's really nothing that they can bring that I can't hold. Mm. And I don't think that I'm aware yet of why it's different (laughs) like I never set out to do any it is different though Mm -hmm. I hear that every day Mm -hmm. I think that that's why my career is what it is because it is totally different I recognize that but the only thing I'm doing is just reflecting a what I've sort of heard from my guides but b what I've gained from my work with it because I think when I have darkness that's my tool And I like to understand my darkness so that I can really rest in it rather than try to figure out how the fuck to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I have found there are different kind of, I guess, magical things that do happen that I don't talk about really during readings, which is that cards do sing to me. Mm. What do you mean by that? I mean like they're notes. And so sometimes like if uh, if I pull a card and it sounds like an A on the piano, like I'll know if it's an A minor, A major. Mm, It sounds like kind of like a supernatural synesthesia. It is. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, They do. They sing. And I didn't know what that was until like, and I'm a musical person. Like I've been a singer and been involved with music in my life. But it's a language that kind of makes sense to me. And I didn't know that not everyone did that. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'm a little bit still learning 
why it's different but the crux of it is that I live it like mm-hmm. I do I do this work like mm-hmm. I know what it is to genuinely hang out in these cards and say teach me show me what do you mean mm. so you have a relationship with them deeply and you were talking about your guides can you expand mm-hmm. on that a little bit because people use that word differently I know, I know. Uh, as much as you're comfortable revealing yeah <laughs> I'm comfortable with anything you want to ask me. Uh, so as far as I understand it to be, my guides are, I have no connection with anyone's name. I don't know what they are. Who I per- refer to personally as my quote guides is it's energy. They've never lived and they're just up there. Okay, and so it's not an ancestor. No. Okay, it's some kind no. of other current that you're tapping into yeah they have no agency guides they're not invested like if if grandma is an angel or a guardian of some kind grandma might have still an opinion (laughs) about what's right or wrong for you to do guides don't have that yeah my grandmothers certainly have lots of opinions (laughs) that they like to share with me from the other side yeah exactly so I have connections to lots of different but the communication as far as I understand it to be guides are devoted to bringing truth and bringing a truth and a medicine and a wisdom that is in our highest and best good so it's like going right to this is a terribly patriarchal example so forgive me for this but if you need a lawyer it's like going to the best lawyer you know Mm -hmm. rather than working up the line it's like really just going right to the expert and they talk to me so clearly that I don't I don't need to go to anyone else sometimes you know family members and things will come in I'm not always sure who's speaking to me but I know enough to know what's truth and what's not because of the way it feels in my body. Mm. So when I read tarot, I'm learning something new about the card every time I read it. Like literally, it's like the card opens up like a little pool and I'm spoken to through mm. that. So mm. that sometimes the tower is like the best thing in the world. Sometimes in an 11 card spread, I'm told in card one, spend time on this. And if you don't get to the rest of them, that's okay. This is important. They'll tell me, spend more time here, less time here. They'll explain to me. So it's like a piece of music that I hear, and then I get to kind of sing it along to someone else. Mm, That's beautiful. You use that word medicine in association Mm -hmm. with tarot. And, you know, you've written very openly about trauma and PTSD. Mm -hmm. You mentioned it a moment ago that you've gone through. Being as specific or general as you care to, how did tarot help you through your own trauma? How was it medicine for you originally? Well, I got my first deck when I was 11 and like bought books and stuff because I'm a Virgo rising and I really wanted to know. Mm. And I never found a book that really gave me what I was looking for. There was always like a little bit I'd take from here and a little bit from there. But I knew even at 11 that there were really extreme descriptions being allocated. Because, okay, here's here's a kind of a weavy thing that's going back to question one. If we're in a universe that is designed for life, it's designed to help Because again, the only constant in life is that everything is bringing an invitation to evolve in some way. This is why we're here, because the process of evolution has occurred again and again and again. 
If we're talking about soul evolution, there's not any experience we're given that is not designed to help us evolve. And that doesn't mean that we're saying everything happens for a reason, because that is way more... um, Reductive? Yes. Then, you know, that's not what we're saying. We're either nourishing a lotus from mud, or we're getting more mud from mud, and neither one is a problem. Mm -hmm. It's so important sometimes to stay stuck in the mud, sometimes for a decade. So if we look at a card like Three of Swords, it doesn't make any sense that it would just be a description of an experience of betrayal, loss, heartbreak, or, or drama. Okay, and then what? What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. What happens when there are swords in the heart? And that completing a circle is what I think I'm doing with the tarot a little bit because that's where guides come in and they'll say like, yeah, okay, that's true sometimes, but here's what you do about it. Mm-hmm. And that was what tarot did for me with my trauma because when I would have a moment of PTSD or of extreme panic or of extreme, extreme mm-hmm. <laughs> with trauma, it just feels very extreme. I couldn't see past that experience at all. No matter how much work I'd done, no matter how many anchors I had with angels or no matter how many books I had or who was on my short list of text messages back in the day when I really had no, when my nervous system was a lot less regulated than it is. Tarot was the thing that was there when I was like in the bath, huddled up in a corner for me to just say in my mess, what am I being invited to pay attention to here? Mm. And what shape did that take? Were you doing daily readings for yourself? Were you ever I needed it to be? Would it be sometimes in the throes of a always in the throes, always in the throes? So you were able to be have the presence of mind even in that heightened emotional state to say okay let me get out the cards and and see what I can learn from this oh yeah because the last place I wanted to be was in the throes the thing with tarot is it's an unlearning that we do together my students and I my students really have the assumption that tarot is meant to be this sacred sacrosanct like you only touch it when you've got clean hands it's The way that you can develop your own teaching with it is if you go to it when your hands are dirty, Mm. (laughs) like when your hands have blood on them. You know what I mean? Like it's like you got to go to your tarot deck when you're in the throes so that we can be recentered a little bit Mm -hmm. from the limitations of ego or of brain chemistry to the possibility that this too is an evolution. So in moments when I used to have these panic attacks, Sometimes I'd pull a card that really had to do with, like I'd pull a knight Mm. that would have to do with movement. And they would say, like, please go take a walk. So it comes through in all kinds of different ways. I really love that because I know, you know, in my experience of having the blues or some anxiety or whatever it is, there is that feeling of paralysis that happens. Mm. And I can see how pulling a card might be the thing that can kind of jostle you a little bit in a good way. Yeah. It helped me on a very um, kind of biochemical standpoint. You know, in the healing of trauma from the nervous system, most psychologists agree that there needs to be an anchor and what they mean by that is a thought of a dog or a song or a prayer or something that you can go to so in your darkness you can remember like Mm. you're a person and this is passing and you're okay tarot really became my anchor in those moments 
to flip my nervous system out of fight flight freeze into rest digest because mm. there was always a part of me that wanted to reach for something outside of that chaos mm-hmm. but I didn't know that by doing that I was building a repertoire of teachings that were coming through to me from my experience it, it taught me that there were different meanings to cards than anyone had ever written about mm-hmm. because I had never looked at any card you don't look at cards like that until you're that's what I mean when I say I live it yep like I go to this I do this sh- this shit can I curse on this of course cool. please like, we're I pirates here this mm-hmm. and it's not when yeah, I go to it when I have like dainty questions too but <laughs> like all <laughs> what's this... a dainty question which cake should yeah, I pretty much. for my tea today <laughs> yeah so yeah but I live it and that's how it helped me it helped me to remember that it's like if you really read from everyone who has CPTSD, which is really complex PTSD, which means there was no time before abuse. Mm -hmm. There was no time before trauma. That was how I was raised. Mm. It's technically what that's known as. To people who have PTSD and there's no, like not one is not worse than another. But anyone who has PTSD will describe, there's a feeling of godlessness that can sometimes take over like the world really does have no meaning and you're alone in it. Mm. Um, You know better but it, the feeling, you know, of that extreme separation can happen. And I knew that that wasn't true intellectually, but the feeling was so strong. And the tarot was the bridge for me of saying like, okay, this is what is without argument happening in my body right now. But I'm willing to consider that there's something else that I can set my gaze toward mm-hmm. what might that be mm-hmm. how did you find Tara? what was your first deck how did this come across your transom it was Rider Waite and I was in a used bookstore in Montclair New Jersey and I literally thought wow that looks cool New Jersey hey I mean hey <laughs> like li- that was it like I thought yeah. like, wow this is cool and gave readings all through middle school high school and college mm-hmm. to friends and to buddies and to lovers and to teachers and just just loved it and it felt like a nice little tool and I had no idea what the hell I was doing but it, this didn't the way that I'm speaking about tarot and the usage of it didn't really come into my life until I was about 30 years old okay yeah and so you know you're talking about doing readings for other people and now this is your calling and your vocation mm-hmm. I just want to clear the air about something that gets brought up <laughs> all the dang time about tarot which yeah. is this myth or belief that you should never charge money to read cards for somebody so yeah I mm-hmm. see from your life that you think this is ridiculous but can you address mm-hmm. that can you kind of dispel that for people who still feel like this is I don't know mm-hmm. blasphemy to have an exchange of money for this mm-hmm. service that you're offering yes well I remember us talking about this at a panel that we were a part of that's right this was at the alchemist's kitchen yeah it was a digital witchcraft panel and I believe that Jean I don't remember whether it was Gina or you. I I want to reference something that either one of you said, and you'll know it, because if you said it, you'll remember it, that this has a really long history in the idea that this is women's work, mm. and we don't charge for women's work. We're not charging for cleaning, for cooking, whatever, and it's an exchange of energy. It's an exchange of energy to cook a meal. It's an exchange of energy to do wash to do dishes, to raise children. Both physical labor and emotional labor. I charge money 
because I was told to. Mm -hmm. There are certain things I do not charge money for that are not a part of my flow. I'm not meant to move through monetary exchange for them. You know, that's fine. Yeah, it's like so uh, bewildering to me that I have a little bit of trouble putting it as succinctly as I'd like to. Uh, For people who feel that way, I I think that that's fine. Like, they can. It's so ridiculous that it doesn't even really work. It's not really worth commenting Mm -hmm. on. um, I was put on this earth to do this work. God did not, is not a part of my soul contract to be poor. Mm -hmm. If I am fed, nourished, well taken care of, I give better readings. Exactly. If I can make my rent, I give better readings. And... I invest in my education and in my self-care so my prices go up, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Because the work I'm doing is reflective of a certain exchange of energy and on and on it goes. When we don't charge for our services, we are robbing our clients of the opportunity to receive from an investment. Mm -hmm. We are robbing people of the opportunity to feel how incredible it is to invest in themselves if that calls to them Mm -hmm. there's so many people that are never going to be called to work with me and that's so fine but the exchange of it is a part of understanding that this is um not something that's meant to be given away all the time exactly and you know something i think about all the time is in other religious practices the priest is given free housing often Mm -hmm. if not outright put on salary i was raised jewish and the rabbi very well taken care of yes he (laughs) he had a salary and it was not a small one and you know it's a vocation exactly it's a job exactly speaking of you know your business is exploding right now (laughs) you have thousands of followers on instagram i love your instagram by the way it's so beautiful your photography is gorgeous and everything you write is is so touching and illuminating and you're also booked like months out in advance Mm -hmm. for individual readings having spoken to you before i know that you are called to bring your message to people who may not be able to afford your services Mm -hmm. or who might not have access to you Mm one-on-one can you talk about some of the ways that you're trying to scale and reach more people yes and in fact this is a great thing because next year it's going to get even more expanded but essentially what has happened has been this real blessing but also this very powerful come to jesus come to goddess so to speak that i was getting so booked and my rates are quite high i do live in new york i think if i live somewhere else it'd be different cost of living is just higher here that it became ridiculous I'm not a thousand dollars an hour, but it's high. And I was disturbed by the lack of access to people that just simply don't have that, mm-hmm. that that if they're called to work with me, deserve that opportunity. And so the first way that I expanded into just more tithing was the podcast that I do. So I do a weekly podcast called Terra for the Wild Soul that contains within it some energetic downloads and some intuitive forecasts and some little tarot lessons and some interviews with people who read tarot and 
and it's very full and really comes from the heart. It feels very good to do a giveaway dance with that, so to speak. And I decided within doing the podcast that it really, it no longer made any sense for anyone as a model for me to continue teaching people tarot one-on-one because I was getting a little bored with it. And I have a waiting list that's nine months long mm-hmm. for, to learn tarot with me. And so I just decided to do online courses. And I have a book coming out that's really a, a very meaty labor of, it's really meant like if someone reads this book, they could very well step away from that and start reading. And I feel like I'm I'm really receiving the call to get a little bit further from the one-on-one experience mm. and more to a community experience. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how people respond to it. Oh, well, I am just giddy about <laughs> the idea. Thank I think you. I, I have a really great feeling about it. Thank I want to talk a little bit more about people reading for themselves. Sure. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Lindsay Mack. If you're anything like me, you're probably pretty obsessed with candles. And that's why I'm over the moon to tell you about Mithras candles. They are my favorite. They're made of pure beeswax and handcrafted by my extremely magical pals in Philadelphia. They have a gorgeous drip style that looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. They smell like honey-scented paradise. And they come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Mithras candles are a perfect addition to any home or sacred space, and I can't recommend them more highly. They're available now at MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Lindsay Mack of Wild Soul Healing and Tarot for the Wild Soul. I want to talk a little bit more about both doing a reading for oneself or having one's cards read. Mm -hmm. And I completely confess that this is a self-serving question. I'm here for it. All right. It's my podcast, so I can ask whatever I (laughs) dang want. Tarot is something that I'll pull cards for myself on occasion. I do and go have readings from people when I feel called to, but it it always gives me a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. I fully admit that I have some control issues, I guess you would say. I hear you, know, you honey. Just, yeah. Like, I, I'm afraid. I get nervous that the cards yeah. are going to tell me, like, something's going to happen that I, I don't want to yeah. hear or that I need to know something that, you know, goes against the plan that I had. And I'm just wondering... Are there other people that you've uh, read for that have similar anxiety around cards? And how can I get the hell over it? Okay, so just everyone, just everyone, every single person that I've read for has what you're asking about. Oh, okay. Everyone. What you're speaking about, this is the area that I get the most intense about because part of a reader's responsibility are the people's nervous systems that are coming to them, period. So there can't be any of this bullshit about seeing a card that's particularly spiky and just chalking it up to, oh, well, I mean, you're going into the death card. You have to be able to hold a container of understanding a little bit more about what it is to move through your own death cycles 
so that you can communicate that medicine to the client without them being afraid. Okay, so sorry, just to just to clarify. So the yeah. you that you're talking about is you, the reader. So you're saying the reader needs to be able to hold space yeah. for the querent. Yes. And so... So everybody, every client goes through this. But in terms of, I'll get to reading for ourselves in a second, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal to hold the nervous system with care. This is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The cards can't tell us anything. It's the Time isn't linear. So sometimes at the end of a reading when it's like our final outcome is like the devil, it, it could be happening right now. So we have to be willing to look at it from a nonlinear standpoint. I know that like probably just made a lot of people confused. But if we're reading for ourselves, I have to read for myself the same way I'd read for someone else. So if I pull a spread that's like Ten of Swords, Death Card, Tower, Wheel of Fortune, I actually have to take a breath and talk out loud about it like there was a person next to me. Mm. How would I talk to them about that? Would I be like, this is a disaster? Or would I say like, wow, there's some amazing transformation. And I would. Mm-hmm. I would say, what an opportunity. So when you're reading for yourself, you want to be able to give yourself the gift of reading the cards the way you would read them for someone that you really care about, that you don't want to disturb, that you want to empower. And it's not looking at it in a Pollyanna way. Everything in this life is growth. Everything is growth. Everything. The good nature. Is there anything in nature that's not necessary? Anything in a tree or a rock or a crystal or a shell or a sea creature that is in some way superfluous? No, there's nothing. Why would that be that way for us? So if we're going to read... Our opportunity is to be able to look at a funky spread or even a spread with a lot of good stuff in it and really look at it from a bird's eye view perspective. And if there's fear there, I find it very helpful to be able to just communicate. Like, you know, there's nervousness right now and I just want you to know so you can hold me. Or to just, I don't get nervous reading for myself at all, but I can, I know how scary it is to go to someone and lay myself bare and have my have myself read but I think that the answer to your question and really something that's changed my practice in reading for myself when difficult cards come up or just simply cards I don't like like I didn't want to get them is that I will sometimes talk out loud about it and just say like there's an invitation here you know and it's for this or that and whatever comes out of my mouth is usually so much gentler than it would be if I just stayed silent. Yep, yep. That's really, really helpful. Are there certain cards that you feel are notoriously misunderstood? I mean, I know death is the one we always talk about. And for those of you who aren't familiar, death is usually a card of transformation. Is that right, Lindsay? That's right. Are there a couple other cards that you think get a bad rap? I think so. I think the tower, for good reasons, the devil, um... Three of hearts always like freaks me out. Three of swords, yeah. Three, oh, three excuse of swords. me, three of swords. It's, it's got yes. a giant heart on it. I knew exactly what you were talking yes. about. Three of swords, five of swords, ten of swords, nine of swords, lots of sword cards <laughs> get a bad rap. Um, some court cards get a bad rap. And uh, there's a lot of misunderstood cards in the deck. And, you know, I'll, I'll go on record, perhaps controversially, and say that there are some positive cards that have like two of cups. 
does not mean you're going to meet your husband. It don't mean <laughs> going to meet, you're going to meet your wife. You're meeting you first. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee in any tarot card that you're going to get an external thing. I really value reading from a place of integrity and responsibility. How I read is not how everyone reads. It's not the way to do it. A lot of people are really different, and I honor the fuck out of that. But for me, if I don't know, or if the card's definition is somehow hinged on you're going to meet someone or there's money coming in, I can't buy that because I don't know that that's true. Really? Nope, I don't. What I do know is that if two of cups comes up in a reading... I don't know that someone's going to meet someone, but I do know that it might be an invitation to really open up the arms and open up the heart and draw in an aspect of myself that might not be the most easy to love. Mm -hmm. And usually if I do that, there is an external match that loves that part too. Yeah, I feel like that's such deep work. You know, occasionally people come to me and they want me to do a love spell for them. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, and in the past, you know, I would do it. And as I've gotten older, and for for many years now, what I do is I give them a love spell for themselves, which sounds, I know, very Oprah, but... No, but it's true. I I love Oprah, by the way. We'll talk about her more (laughs) on the podcast. Love her. And I found that to be the most effective magic I can offer them. Yeah. And same thing with Ten of Pentacles. Like, I've gotten Ten of Pentacles lots of times, and I'm never necessarily winning the lottery. So what else is... That's the kind of... These are the kind of questions I ask. Like, I literally do field work. Like, if I pull a card, even now... This morning I did this. If I pull a card that historically has some kind of connection to you're drawing in this, you're going to pull in this, you're going to meet this person... I will straight up call a meeting with that card and whomever is up there and say, okay, I'm going to be paying attention. But if it's something other than this, please let me know Mm -hmm. really, really clearly so I understand, which gives me way more notes on the piano to play with when I read for someone. Because if you're asking those questions, you can differentiate, oh, you're going to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing that happens in the lovers, Ten of Cups. The good cards, too, can be very, um, can have their own broken promise energy to them. Like mm. if we're really hoping to get something or if we're absolutely feeling like the court cards are other people, I don't think they are. That's controversial statement number two, but that's a conversation for another day. And they're waiting for someone because they pulled like King of Cups or Knight of Cups or something. I just, it, it has to be different for me because there's no guarantee on the external. There's no guarantee for anything externally other exactly. than what we're giving to ourselves. So yeah, I think there are a massive amount of misunderstood tarot cards. Yeah. So you use the mother piece tarot, is I that do. right? Yes, I do. And for those listeners who might not be familiar with it, what does the mother piece tarot look like and why were mm-hmm. you drawn to it? So the mother piece tarot is a feminist tarot deck uses mainly women on it and it's circular that's the most interesting thing about it visually it's circular it's really beautiful kind of old school 70s looking deck (laughs) and does that mean there are no reversals on the cards no there are not only reversals but there are four meanings to every mother piece card oh my goodness i didn't realize that there's a right side up there's a reversal there's a tilt left and a tilt right 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's really, you really have to know. It's like very, uh, not advanced. Anyone can read the Mother Peace deck, but it, it provides such depth of flavor. And I was actually given that deck by someone, there's a totally true story. My friend Crystal Recaro, who is a profoundly gifted intuitive and artist, and she doesn't do intuitive work professionally, but she's very, very good at it. Her mother is a professional psychic. And Crystal was my friend from New Jersey. We were going to college together. And I went over to her house in Holmdel, and her mother just pushed them into my hands when I was 21. And she was like, these are supposed to go to you, and I know that. So even if you don't use them, don't give them away. That's incredible. Yeah. And I didn't use them until I was 30 and got an opportunity to read kind of like weekend tarot kicking around at a store which blew all this open by the way they were the only deck I still had wow are you still using that same deck yeah that's that's so cool by the way I grew up not too far from Homedale really yes so (laughs) all of your jersey shout outs are are really making me happy heck yeah heck yeah now Dior recently used the images of the Mother Peace Tarot in their 2018 resort collection yes they did and they got lots of coverage um, in Vogue and and New York Times which I know you were quoted in recently as well Mm -hmm. personally I thought it was gorgeous but I could see how some people might have yeah. ambivalent feelings about these powerful images being co-opted by a fashion house and mm-hmm. I was just wondering what was your reaction to it when you first heard about it and saw the photographs from the runway show I thought they were beautiful I, I know that a friend of mine to her it felt racist because she was concerned that there was some fashion appropriation happening like she didn't like the fact that there was women of color on a dress worn by a white lady like there's some things with that Mm -hmm. that i've heard a lot of indigenous yeah like which is beautiful because if you think about it they they are the first people to bring color to to any tarot deck these ladies the creators of mother piece yeah that's it the first people to ever do that okay and Um, that's um vicky noble and karen vogel okay but i had karen vogel on my show on my podcast and she was so pleased with it so i was so excited i lost my mind thought it was really cool my only concern at that time when i first saw it was whether they had agreed to it i didn't know the backstory i was a little worried they were taken advantage of but it wasn't like that at all good yeah that's really heartening to hear yeah that's great so i want to segue from tarot to Tori. Oh my god. I know. Wow. I should be Buddy. I should be fired for that. Buddy. But who can fire me? No one. It's my no podcast. One. It's your show. Hell You're the boss. Yes. <laughs> You're the boss. So you and I both share oh a god. very deep love of Tori Amos as Bone ev- Deep. Yes. And this is evidenced by the fact that I keep bumping into you at different Tory <laughs> events, like um, the live talkback she did for yes. Pitchfork. Yes. And I know you and I were both at the recent show she did at Beacon Theater. You got That's to go correct. to both shows, That's which I'm very envious of. So first of all, I have to ask, which tarot card would Tori be? She's the high priestess. <laughs> She's the high priestess. Actually, I'm going to change my answer. Okay. I, I have to go off record. Tori off, Amos, wait, off record? Wait, not off record. I have to go off of that answer. Okay. Sorry. Okay. okay. Re- redo. Okay. Tori is the queen of wands. And I'll tell you why. She's the queen of wands because she is so profoundly sensual. 
And such a big part of Queen of Wands is intuitive channel, sensual being. Mm. So the Queen of Wands is the witch of the deck. And she's also the one who's able to blend fire and water. We know that there's an alchemy to her. We know that there's a mystery to her. The well of wisdom, the depth of the water, and the intensity of the fire, that's Tori. What do you think she is? Oh, that's a really good answer. I would have just said high priestess. I mean, I because mean. she is. She is the high priestess, yeah. but there's, I mean, one of the most unbelievably profound things about Tori, at least for me when I was growing up, I'm sure for you, was her sensuality. Definitely. And I was like, oh, sensuality can like be like this, so Ex- open and bold and like so connected to sacredness and, and shameless shameless like in the, in the pumping best. that piano bench, oh yeah grinding not giving a on fuck it. yeah yep. yep yeah she um she was a and continues to be a really profound yeah. teacher for me um someone else who is a a huge star in my personal pantheon is someone i know you've studied with as well and that's clarissa pincola estes yeah uh who wrote women who run with the wolves yes. And I was just curious, what was your experience like? Did you train with her or take Mm -hmm. a workshop with her? I did her training called Singing Over the Bones. Technically, it's a five-part training. You can do one, you can do all five. There's some people who did all five. She's teaching people how to interpret the book because she knows she's getting older. The Women Who Run With the Wolves book? Yes. And I should just say quickly for those listeners who aren't familiar with it, this is a groundbreaking classic book about female fairy tales and specifically around the concept of wildness Mm. and feminine wildness. So she takes a lot of fairy tales with female wild protagonists and she writes about them both academically but also very poetically and lyrically and uh i highly highly recommend this book it Mm. it really changed my life and it sounds like it did for you too Lindsay. profoundly yeah it was an amazing experience for many reasons and what were you learning from her so when i went she had chosen prior to us going that we were going to break apart the handless maiden and we were going to break apart a story in the book called coyote dick and that we were going to talk about how you literally break apart these archetypes and how you reflect them into your life and so it was six full days eight hours a day wow of her talking about everything from psychology to how to be with difficult people we did two full days on dream analysis from her from her opinion and perspective it was unbelievable and it's total it's given me a dream practice i didn't even know it was possible mm. we learned so much i have an entire notebook from that incredible and i yeah. can see how that would be useful in your tarot reading because mm. so much of tarot is archetypal and it yeah. is reading this story that's made of images yeah on that note i just want to wind down with a quote from her she said One of the most calming and powerful actions you can do to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show your soul. Mm. I think we can all agree the world is pretty stormy right now. So, Lindsay, do you have any final thoughts on how tarot can help us in this very obviously tumultuous time? Mm. I think very humbly that it is one of the tools for this collective awakening. It's not an accident that so many people 
are being drawn to it, it's not just because it's having a moment. It's because we're waking up and it's been waiting for us. We're forgetting in this age of technology and of really quick fixes and of like Insta spirituality, what it is to drop in with these archetypes. Everyone knows what these archetypes mean. It's in all of our marrow. It's in our DNA that everyone knows who the magician is. Everyone knows who the empress is. Everyone knows who queen of cups is, really, if we look at these images. The remembering of ourselves through the lens of these cards, through story, through fairy tale, through imagination, through magic, is it's the candle that really is illuminating our own little radius right now in this stormy time in this darkness it can be if people are drawn to it there's no greater tool I mean we're talking to me I'm literally doing this for a living it can be the most wonderful tool for activism for clarity of speech for clarity of mind for greater allyship and stewardship to the planet it's so profound because it helps us if we're willing to know ourselves it's a mirror so if the mirror is a little smudged what we're going to see is a smudged image if we're willing as Ramdas says to polish the mirror and to really do our work with this tool i really believe that it is the tool that got dropped down here that can really really guide us into our truth which you know the more we do that the more light the world receives absolutely and if we can just leave listeners with a tiny bit of magical homework um, for somebody who might be very very new to tarot Mm -hmm. just very quickly what's a good first step they can take towards getting into this world the first step i think i'm going to take them even a step further back and i'm going to encourage them to really look inside and ask themselves is this my soul deck does it make me feel seen and heard am i pulling cards that feel like it's vibrating with me is something happening in my body or do i just feel like i don't want to touch it and every card i pull feels like it's out of alignment for me if you're in a place of stuckness i encourage people always to go out and see what deck your heart chooses but the next thing that I would say is to play with it to play with it to charge it to mess around with it and to teach yourself like no one I I teach people all the time but really some people desire a teacher no one needs a teacher I've never had a teacher in my life for the tarot so to look and read and view different kinds of opinions but to ultimately get to know your deck through the lens of your own life experience we desperately need people from all walks people of color queer folks people non-identifying men and women whomever young and old we need your stories because no one is going to be able to bring your juice and magic in the way that you can so i would say emphasize a practice of play with it and be willing to try all kinds of different things and no comparison eyes on your own paper there's no right or wrong way to interpret any card that's great yeah 
So, Lindsay Mack, where can people find <laughs> your juice and magic, whether in the material world mm-hmm. or the world wide web? Right now, I'm only on the web, unless you're booking an appointment with me. But people can find me on my website at lindsaymack.com. They can find me on Instagram at Wild Soul Healing. I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, but not really. Um, <laughs> and I'm like not really there. Like I have a business page, but it's it's not. sort of like an apparition. Lindsay. Yeah, it's it's a space holder. I'm not on Facebook. Okay, um, don't go to Facebook. Guys. You can, but yeah, yeah. Like I'm not. You're not really gonna get me on Facebook. Yeah, there's like nothing that's but, going on there. But Instagram is Instagram is a it. place that you're super active. Yeah, and I feel like you're putting up gorgeous photographs oh, thanks, and Pam. really moving insights all the time. Thank so you. that that's the place I tend to send people yeah. myself. Yeah. And uh, my podcast called Tarot for the Wild Soul that comes out every week and is available literally wherever podcasts are to be found. iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Fantastic. Yeah. Lindsay Mack, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Pam Grossman. It was such a delight. The Witch Wave was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Pam Grossman. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Chiquita Pascal and Matt Skywalker Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of twinkly stars. It really makes a difference, and I'd be so grateful. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for witch emoji, all one word, in the App Store or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.